Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. I am so honored and pleased to share with you our guest for today, and his name is Chad Mansbridge. I love that last name. He pointed out to me that bridge is in his name because I'm always talking about, I want to be a bridge for people (laughs) in discussion. So with that, I'll go ahead and just have Chad. Welcome, Chad. Go ahead and tell us more about yourself. Welcome. Well, g'day, Pamela. And uh, yeah, what's in a name? Hey, what's uh, what 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 does what does Pamela mean? Actually, I've, I've, Pamela actually is- means all honey. And the funny thing about it is, while I appreciate that that's what it means, my mom named me Pamela because of her favorite soap opera star. She didn't even know what the name meant. So, I- so it has a not. A noble reason and then a fairly ordinary uh, yes. reason behind it. Well, actually, the same's true with Chad because Chad, apparently the history of, of Chad means warrior. Okay, so fighter or warrior. But also <laughs> Chad, and I only found this out because of you guys there in America, during the uh, election of uh, Al Gore and um, and George Bush, there was a big controversy in Florida as to the voting and, and whether the vote should have gone to George Bush. And it's because the Chads in the paper we're not falling out properly or something. And, and so what I discovered that the word Chad is that little piece of paper that comes out when you do a hole punch in a piece of paper. I'm like, oh, that's what my name means. <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just a little waste of paper that comes out of a hole punch. So there's also an ignoble, you know, a fairly common Funny. name to the word Chad. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, now I have to tell you a little bit more about my name because we have some things in similar. My last name is Shana. It means blacksmith or warrior. So we're two warriors here together. <laughs> so let's go. let's get the job done together. Yeah, <laughs> done absolutely. And uh, well, it's great to great to be with you, Pamela. And of course, uh, as we're recording this, it's it's evening for you. It's morning for me. That's how yeah. it works down under in this southern part of the hemisphere. Obviously, your listeners are probably worked out by now. I'm coming to you from Australia. Uh, I live currently live anyway in a place called Victor Harbour. Uh, it's on the coast of South Australia. So here in Australia, we've got basically seven states as a federation mm-hmm. of states and South Australia is a state I come from. It's a very world-famous wine region, among other things, um, uh, and so I, I sort of live in that area on the coast and uh, I'm the father. I've been married uh, to my wife, Jay, for 23, I think, years, something like that, and uh, we have four kids, days 2018, 17 and 6. So there's a big gap between number three and four, uh, but four kids and a, and a labradoodle called Freddie, as it turns out. So we've got a dog now, so uh, as many people That's did beautiful. during the COVID years. My wife and I have been leading a church for 20 years, so I'm a pastor as well as, a, as an author. I know we're going to get to that later, but the pastor of a church here and literally like 
a month ago from the time we're doing this interview, we announced to our church that God had called us to move to another state. And so we are right now in the midst of the process after 20 years of leading a church that we planted ourselves when we were just 23 years of age. We planted the church here. Uh, where um, I'm 43 now, we are handing over the lead pastoring role of that church as we speak, following the moving of the Holy Spirit to another adventure. And we're not even sure what that looks like at this stage, but uh, very excited or increasingly becoming excited about that next phase of our life. So That is wonderful. Beautiful to hear all those things, even about your family. I could even hear the, the love for your wife and your children, just hearing you introduce yourself. And your dedication to God all those years starting the church. And you told me before we started recording that um, you had a beautiful, peaceful, wonderful transfer of power, so to speak, this past Sunday. So I'm excited for you. And I believe we touched on a little bit during the pre-chat. We have some similarities going on. I feel myself going through a type of transition and shift and getting ready for what God has as next so i can relate to a lot of that oh that's fantastic you know it it, it occurred (laughs) to me where we uh we laid hands on the new couple in our church environment just happened to be as a coincidence would have it okay just happened to be pentecost sunday so uh you know the the first sunday in june this year as it works out in 2022 and pentecost sunday traditionally is a is a transition moment because it was the moment in the new testament as we know holy spirit was poured out on a new thing that god was doing you know on a a new generation a, a renewed community pentecost itself was a very old tradition it was been something that the israelites had celebrated the jewish people celebrated essentially for 1400 years it was the the feast of weeks the seven weeks after passover there was a long established tradition there but pentecost in acts chapter 2 was like something fresh fresh fire for a fresh season and so yeah with a church succession with a, Mm -hmm. a, a handing on the baton of one generation to the next it's an acknowledgement of what's gone before but also fresh fire and fresh wind of the holy spirit as god is breathing something new on his people so very very exciting that is exciting we have so much to talk about and i want to make sure that we can glean as much from you and your teaching style as possible even just you unloaded so much and unpacked so much just in the introduction this is going to be fun and informative who do you think you would be without god in, in one sense you can't answer that question pamela because none of us are without god you know none of us uh, even if we don't know We have a relationship with God, even though we may not even say we believe in God. You know, I often say you might say that you don't believe in God, but he believes in you. Okay, And and whether you know it or not, there is a relationship there. It may be an estranged relationship. It may be an out of the family relationship. It may be a a relationship that by the prodigal son he's away from the father's Mm -hmm. house. But that father knows that son and he's waiting for him to come home. So in a sense, none of us. Are without God. It, it, it is in Him that we live and move and have our being ultimately. But essentially, I think that the heart of your question is who would you be without knowing God? Mm. And uh, that is, a, that is in one sense, a, a challenging thing for me to answer because I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family. I had a, a Christian worldview for most of my life, but certainly a pivotal moment in my early teenage years was when I really truly encountered Holy Spirit as a person and the reality of God shifted from becoming a worldview, just something that I I assumed I believed in, I absorbed as a child, to something I truly 
knew a person that I walked with personally uh, in my teenage years. And so it, it is possible that uh, without God, without that encounter, I would be a religious person. I would be someone who claimed to believe in God but never truly walked with him. And that is a shallow existence when you consider how awesomely deep God is and the great desire he has for us to walk in relationship with him. So I don't know exactly who I'd be without God. There's a lot of wealth in what you said. You made me reflect on so many things. And I like the analogy of being an estranged relative, so to speak, and then relating to the prodigal son. I actually think that has a lot of reflective value in it, the answer that you just gave. So I'm so glad I asked you that question. It is either Holy Spirit or it's the fact that it's it's morning here, like I said, and that second coffee is just kicking in. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Maybe it's all of the above. And who do you believe yourself to be with God? Yeah, in this year, as we're celebrating 20 years, I'm, it, a lot of reflection is being done. You know, where have we come from and what are the foundations of our, of our church ministry? And that my very first message ever that I preached was from Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church. Okay. And I actually speak about this in my book. But that whole statement of I will build my church comes from the revelation that Peter had of who Jesus was. Who, who do people say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon says at that stage. And Jesus said, Simon, you are no longer to be called Simon. You are Peter, which means a chip off the old rock, you know, a, a little mm -hmm. piece of rock. That's what the word Peter means. And yeah. it's like Jesus saying, you know, I'm the rock on which the church is built, but you're a chip off the old rock, Peter. It's like you you are more like me that you give yourself credit for. Mm -hmm. and uh, And that rock solid foundation of identity, who Jesus is and who we are because of him is the how the churches should be built and how the church mm -hmm. stands and spreads on the rock-solid revelation of who we are and whose we are. And so who am I? Because of God, that's your question. Um, I am many things because, because God is multifaceted. God is complex. He's a complex being, if we can call him that. He reveals yeah. himself in many ways. He reveals himself as father, as commander, as king, mm -hmm. as governor, as a gardener as a yeah. shepherd, yeah. as a vineyard tender. And so we also have many images that speak to who we are in Christ. So that's a complex question for me to ask who I am because of Christ, but uh, it is a journey that I'm learning all the time. How does God see me? And ultimately my answer to that would be I am who I am says I am. That's who I am. Okay. I am who I am says I am. And no matter, and I, and I think our listeners would benefit from hearing that too. You know, no matter how many identity words have been spoken over you from an angry relative, a drunk uncle, an abusive mother, you know, a teacher that spoke something over you, a, a former relationship uh, in your past, an old boss, many th words might have been spoken over you about who you are, what kind of person you are. Well, listen, what matters most is who I am says I am. And that is the solid foundation on which. I've decided to build my life on who I am and who he is ultimately. Beautiful. You made me think of some of my reflections when I read that same passage of scripture, when the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter that Jesus is the son of God. And then right after that, Jesus said, and I say, you are Peter, you are a rock. It's always been meaningful to me because I've understood that the more I understand who Christ is, I have an, a greater understanding of who I am as being made in the image of God, as being a type of reflection and extension of God. So he gives expression through us. I was thinking about <laughs> when I first kind of made that 
that discovery, I'll say. But I love the beautiful layers again and how uh, you expressed it. And I know that that's going to help people have powerful reflection. Tell me about a scary, confusing, or discouraging time in life, past or present, and what made that time so difficult and what turned the challenge around? Wow, let's, let's get vulnerable. Let's, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I can do that. You know, there's obviously being a pastor, I've sat with uh, people in some of their most vulnerable moments over the years, and whether it's a couple in a hospital room holding their, the lifeless body of their stillborn child or whether yeah. it's sitting with a mum who's just discovered uh, a note from her young man, your young son who's, who's decided to take his own life, mm. uh, whether it's sitting with a couple where the husband has just admitted to his wife that he's just been unfaithful to her. Mm. I've sat in some of the most tender moments of people's life. And we pastors as well have those moments ourselves. We are people. Uh, before yeah. <laughs> before we are pastors, we ourselves are people. We ourselves are sheep. You know, we, we have all the same sheep needs that every regular Christian has. That's simply yeah. who we are. We also, pastors, are just regular Christians that have a unique... You bleed red blood? Come on, baby. Yeah, <laughs> we, I know. We, and we have to pay the same price for gas that everyone else does. We live in the same... I know, it's amazing. There's no it's, discount it's, it's, on gas for pastors? <laughs> yeah, well, apparently not in Australia. I don't know what they do there in the States. I know you're going through it at the moment. One of the probably the most, uh, a time I'd remember, one of the first moments that really mattered to me. My wife and I had just been married and within a year, within close to a year, we'd, uh, she'd got pregnant. And so this was our, our first child. And uh, as it turned out, we found out just in the lead up to Christmas and the, and the Christmas weekend was going to be around about the 10 or 12 week mark in our pregnancy. And so we thought, what a great opportunity to surprise our family and to keep this as a Christmas present for them. And so we wrote Christmas cards, you know, to different Christmas trees as our family was meeting in different parts of Australia that day. We preempted that. It had a, an announcement in there of, of, of the coming of our child. And I was working in retail at the time. I sent my new wife with my parents to drive interstate to my family. And so she, we weren't together on Christmas Eve uh, mm. or on the night before Christmas Eve because I was working and she was out with my family traveling to a Christmas. I was going to meet her the next day. And uh, as I flew interstate to be with her on Christmas Eve, I landed at the Sydney airport and my father called me and said, Chad, I'm at the hospital with Jay. She's just had a miscarriage. And this was the first time that my parents had found out that their first grandchild, that they, we were oh. actually pregnant. This is how they found out. And uh, my wife was there without me, sitting in a hospital room, uh, suffering a miscarriage at, at 12 weeks. And I remember just sitting, just getting that message. And I sat in a transit bus on the way to catch a train to go and see her. And this is how I heard about that, you know. And I just sat in the train and I just remember weeping and just out of my mouth, almost involuntarily, I just said, Lord, I thank you that you love me. Mm. Thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love you're my father and you're a good father. It sort of surprised me later that those words came out of my mouth, but it, I realized in that tender moment that somewhere in my past I had done business with God and he had convinced me that he was good and that mm. he was loving and that he was kind and in that moment of significant emotional challenge and confusion and there's people listening right now that know exactly what that is like where i realized at that moment my roots had gone deep into the love of god like paul prays in ephesians 3 i pray that you're you would be rooted and established in the love of god like a strong tree whose roots go down deep and um, somewhere in the previous years that had happened to me and it paid off 
great dividends in that time. And, and while we went through suffering and while we went through pain, there was a sense of God's presence with us in that journey. I think that also helped us at, at 21 years of age, you know, mm-hmm. as we would later become pastors to sit with people in their tenderness and understand that pain and suffering is real, but there's also a, a great reality to the tenderness and comfort of God in those situations. Wow. Well, yes, thanks for being so candid and sharing such a personal story. And this is, to me, part of that bridge that I talk about. People, I think they respond to us more and we are just two people talking and not just, I don't know, doing a podcast show. Uh, We're letting people see aspects of ourselves that they can relate to. And I've certainly had very trying times in my life as well. And the first thing that came to my mind is related to my daughter, too. When she was one years old, she almost passed away. She almost died at one and a half. I had some guilt behind that because I had my first television writing job and I was hurrying to finish it. I just thought she had a cold and her equilibrium was off. I had no idea how sick she was. So I drove to deliver my script because I was so late it couldn't be mailed before taking to the, her to the emergency room. When I get there, the doctors, they struggle to even get her vein. But when they do get her blood, they're like, something wrong with the baby's blood? And the nurse screams. But you know, God healed her. Doctors never even found what it was. And I didn't even know that she was in a Christian hospital until it was all over. I looked up in the elevator and I saw this painting of a doctor doing surgery. And behind him was Jesus's arms guiding Uh, the hands uh, during surgery. We face challenges, but we get through it. And yes, do you know that is one of those things that's kind of like erecting a monument. You never forget those things that God has done for you and it helps you with the next encounter. So again, thank you. So you told me that as a young man, you observed the different belief systems within the Christian community that were probably born from denominational affiliations. So tell me more about that and how you processed it. Like, why do you even think that stood out to you as a young man? I think you said you were at camp or something. Yeah, so I grew up in a uh, in a Christian family of the Pentecostal tradition or the Pentecostal flavor, let's say. And so my, but my parents, because we grew up in a regional area, my parents were always uh, interested to get me involved in larger groups of Christians, Christian teenagers. In the church we grew up in, there was maybe two or three people my age, and so there was always this desire to send me on conferences with young people to to sort of see that there was more Christians out there, you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. So one of the things my, my parents did is they sent me on a non-denominational Christian summer camp. Now, for us, of course, summer is is Christmas and New Year's. I know that's hard to get your head around. But yeah. here in Australia, you know, Christmas for us is barbecues and and, and beer at the beach. Okay. That's that's how we do Christmas over here. So we'd go on summer camp after Christmas leading into New Year. And that sent me on a this interdenominational camp. And uh, there was Christians there from all different stripes and flavors. And for someone like me who grew up in a context where Pentecostal practices were very common, I had seen people get healed as a young person. I'd seen the miracles of healing. I'd heard people pray in tongues and had those apparently interpreted in, uh, in a meeting and people saying, look, I, f- I believe the Lord is, thus saith the Lord, the Lord says this, you know, those kind of uh, manifestations of the, the gifts of the spirit were 
uh, common for me, but it wasn't until I got to this camp that I met some people that actually said, no, those things are not from God. God doesn't do that today. In fact, some even believed that uh, speaking in tongues and those type of demonstrations actually were demonic, were actually of demons. And so, wow, I'm sitting there as a 14, 15-year-old going, what? How could people have such different views? <laughs> and yet we all I believe. the same type of things, actually. Now, not only different views, but we all had the same Bible. I mean, these kids literally had the same translation. We, we, all had, we all had the NIV. You know, we all had the same Bible that we're reading <laughs> from and coming from different, very different conclusions. I guess my response to that, and this is also maybe part of my temperament, is I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand why good people had very different views. I didn't balk. I didn't fight. I didn't stand up for my group and my tribe and my, yeah. you know, my persuasion. Uh, I, I didn't point a finger to say you're wrong. I said, wow, let's walk through this together. And so we spent uh, hours at these camps, you know, outside of the normal session times with other people from, from different persuasions, walking through First Corinthians uh, as an example and saying, why do we see this so differently? And so for my teenage years, I was introduced to that concept. And that gave me a great passion, I guess, or a desire to uh, see how people understood the Bible differently. The reason we reach different conclusions is because we read the Bible differently, or at least we understand it differently. And so while we've got the same book, we come to different conclusions. There's something in that bridge, okay, from the bridge, uh, from the book to the conclusions we reach. In that bridge, there's something about how we read it, how we interpret it, how we understand it uh, that is different. And so I was fascinated by that as a teenager. And that was actually the thing that developed my hunger and my passion for the scriptures. Uh, in the Pentecostal background I grew up in, you know, I was very familiar with long worship time and gifts of the spirit but uh you know i didn't know there was a first john oh what there's a john there's a first john i know there's john one but now there's a one john what are you talking about i wasn't really into the bible until i was confronted with the reality of different views and that got me into the scriptures and so i am so grateful for my brethren my baptists and brethren you know conservative brothers that got my attention onto the scriptures and i've had a love for the scriptures ever since yeah, you were making me think, too, that um, even if we're reading something like a play or a novel, we all read the story differently because we bring our experiences with us. We bring our upbringing and our background and the things that we've been exposed to with us. And it plays a role in how we experience the story. And that's what you were making me uh, reflect on as I listened to you. Why should anyone be a Christian when there seems to be so many different spins on the faith? Uh, Christianity or our understanding of God and our understanding of his, his word, his, the scriptures, is multifaceted, as we sort of uh, indicated before when we were talking about identity. Who are you now that God is in your life? Well, there's no simple answer to that. Part of me wants to say, well, I'm a son. I understand I'm God's son. And another part of me wants to say, well, I understand I'm God's sheep. And I want to, the other part of me wants to say that, you know, God is also my lover. Oh, that sounds a bit weird, you know, but God's also my king. I mean, how do all these things work? Well, the reason they work is because God is multi lay it. He's, he's complex and he reveals himself in different ways. And so the same is true with the scripture and with the Christian community. We are complex. We're a diverse, multifaceted, complex community that has different uh, traditions, different backgrounds for the different ages, different tongues, different cultures that we bring to our understanding or our, our developing understanding of God. And so the fact that the Christian community has different views fundamentally is not a bad thing. It's just the reality 
of what you have when you have something that's diverse. I'd like to explain to our church, I, I think there's a difference between something being complex and something being complicated. You know, we all know that there are relationships that we have that are complex. There's a lot of variety in this relationship. There's different hats we wear as we relate to one another. But we also know what it's like to have a relationship that's complicated. Okay, that's a bit different. But complex is like when something with a lot of color and a lot of texture works beautifully together, like a, a reef. One of the things we have in Australia, one of the, the great wonders of the natural world is called the Great Barrier Reef. And as family, we like to go on holidays there and snorkel and, uh, and just experience that. And, you know, there's so many colors, Pamela. There's so many textures. There's so much coral. There's so many different varieties of fish and marine wow. life. It is so different, but wow. it works in harmony. It works. It all works together because there is complexity. It's not complicated. It's just complex. And so uh, one of the reasons the Christian community has different views is because there's just complexity, and that can actually be a beautiful thing. It yeah. can be a beautiful thing. And one of the things I speak about often to our church and in my book is as long as we major on the majors mm. and minor on the minors, we can live together in harmony, even though we have different perspectives. And I certainly think at this cultural moment, and certainly in the States, my understanding of, of a, this cultural moment you've been in for the last good last five to 10 years mm -hmm. uh, with political heat, you know, generated mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a sense of a desire, it would seem to want to divide the people of America. If yeah. you guys are committed to majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors, you can truly be that beautiful United States of America that you're designed to be in all the diversity, but right. unified in your core values. And, and that's certainly something that the Christian community should model well. I agree. And there's actually strength in the differences. When we just study in general at university, when we hear different perspectives, our knowledge expands and grows. And I think that's the same type of opportunity that we have in the church. It's not necessarily always about a right and a wrong, but a different. And by looking at it and through this different perspective, we all grow. We're both authors. So let's talk a little bit about the writing process. You probably have lots of ideas that come to you. I guess what I want to ask you is, how do you settle on that one idea that's worth committing to paper? Wow. Well, you know, the, the main part of my communication now in the last 20 years has really been preaching. And in one sense, it's kind of like writing. I don't write sermons in the in the way that I literally write something that's word for word. I do write ideas and points and and I speak out of that. So writing and preaching or writing and public communication are similar and you do. You there's there's those flashpoints of creative ideas and whether they come from our own imagination, whether they come from the spirit of God. Again, sometimes you don't even know the difference. Okay. Sometimes it's, it's like true. was that was that me or God? And the answer is yes, actually it was. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I it was say us. I always say if it's good, it's God. And so there's uh, there's certainly moments like that where a creative hook will, will come in and I'll go, for me, I'm often looking for, for segues or transitioning. How do I take people from there to there and combine those two things, you know? Sometimes my, my writing process or my creating process, it starts in the shower or it starts mm -hmm. at the beach or it starts on a morning a morning run. I tell this to our new pastors as well in our church. Well, some of the most uh, important times you have is not in the church office. Uh, mm -hmm. When you're sitting down in front of a laptop, sometimes the best thing you can do is go for a nature walk, get out, unplug things from your ears, hear the birds sing, enjoy the trees, and in those creative 
creative moments, God can drop something in your heart that can be a pivotal, uh, you know, word in season type of type of situation. So my writing process sometimes starts in just in those creative spaces where a phrase may drop to me or an idea or a thought. And then obviously, then not obviously, but after then can include study and research mm-hmm. and, you know, developing that idea, making sure that I'm tight in, in, in that belief and in that, in that presentation. And uh, much of the things we do as writers, if we're going to be effective as communicators, is fashioning our speech to reach our audience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as wordsmiths, we deal in words. Uh, your blacksmithing weapon, that's your thats your mm-hmm. surname, yeah? We fashion weapons of, of words, you know. How do we make an impact with the words that I'm delivering? And so sometimes a lot of my writing process is not so much forming my idea, not so much forming my belief. I've kind of got that in there, but yeah. it's finding the right words to build that bridge to bring others into my space. Do you ever feel like you hit that, uh, what people call as a writer's block? Yeah, sermon, look, sermon block, writer's block, one of the, when you're in a vocation, let's say, or a calling, a job where you have to be creative. It's part of your job to, you know, in one sense, there's nothing new under the sun, but there's always something fresh and to bring yeah. freshness. You know, I, I often say whenever I speak or preach or, or write, uh, I want to bring timeless truth uh, I want my message to be both timeless, you know, but also timely. And I hope, hope that's how people leave this interview today. They leave hearing timeless truth. Uh, that, you know, that's true. And that's always true. That's, that's yeah. good seven days a week, that truth. But also <laughs> some people are going to leave today going, I'm so glad I listened to that interview right now because today there was a timeliness on that mm-hmm. conversation. And right. I want that every time I preach. There are times where I have writer's block or preacher's block, and it's not so much on the fact that, I, I don't know the eternal truth. Truth is always there. It's always constant. It's in the timeliness. What is the, the right way for me to bring this message? And sometimes that, that timeliness comes to me, not in front of a laptop screen, but on a walk or even asleep, even a nap. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes the best things a creative person can do is just say, yeah. I'm going to take a sleep. I'm going to have a nap right now <laughs> and switch off that part of my brain and allow the creative flow to come and i imagine sometimes god downloads it right while you're in the midst of teaching or preaching hey sometimes you don't know what you believe until you start speaking and (laughs) uh, and things come out and i often i'll I'll be preaching and i'll I'll say something i go oh someone write that down i've never thought of that before that you know you can tweet (laughs) that that that, that, right there what what did i just say that was awesome you know that's uh and that's whether you're a writer and that's how your fingers work, you know, your pen is, wow, this is just flowing right now. And mm-hmm. anyone that plays sport knows that. Anyone that uh, that dances knows that. There's just certain yeah. times you're in the flow, you're in the zone. There's nothing explaining it other than you're in the sweet spot. And so, yes, that can happen spontaneously. And like all artists, you allow room for that and you plan room for that, but you don't always take that to the bank. You know, there's mm-hmm. a discipline before you uh, stand in front of people to dance or to play an instrument. There's a there's a discipline beforehand, and that discipline structure allows room for flexibility and spontaneity, uh, and for those magic moments to happen. Wow! You know, I love asking writers that question, but I'm so happy I asked an author who's a pastor that question because you explain it differently, and I have appreciation just hearing a pastor share his process and the care and the. Um, just wanting that word for the moment. I appreciate hearing that that effort is given, that you're not just jumping up saying, you know, the preparation. I love hearing that. So thanks for sharing. Uh, You mentioned during a previous conversation that God gave you a type of revelation 
by sharing the saying, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. So will you tell us how God gave this popular wedding saying new meaning for you? I don't want your, your audience to picture this, okay, but this could have been a shower, another shower moment for me where <laughs> I, was, I was just pondering basically one of the things that, that pastors are often asked, and this is in the context of Christians reading the Bible, okay, and they there are many in English, and that's I'm just using English because that's the language you and I are using right now. Mm-hmm. In English, there are many different uh, translations of the Bible, many versions. Now, basically, they say the same thing, but whenever you translate uh, a language like Greek or Hebrew, which is how the Bible was originally written, when you translate any language into another language, there are alternate ways to go about that. So you can, you know, you can have someone transcribe our conversation right now into Zulu or into into Afrikaans or into. Uh, you know, whatever whatever language, Japanese or anything, and you can have two different translators of the same language and they will write it out differently. Each, each translator will choose how they think it's best to come out. So one of the things we're often asked as pastors is what translation of the Bible should I have and I've always said to people, look, there's there's sort of multiple Bibles that you that you should have, not just one Bible. And one day as I was pondering this, you know, I need to write a chapter about this in my book. I want to I want to write about the different kinds of Bibles that people should have. And that phrase just came to me: you need an, something old, something new, something borrowed, and something mm-hmm. blue. As I was thinking about the kinds of Bibles I have, and I thought, wow, I need to quickly write that down. And so basically <laughs> the way that works is I, I encourage people, listen, every Christian, every serious Bible student should have a something old Bible. For me, it's my 1984 NIV that my parents gave me uh, when I was 15 years of age and sent me on that summer camp with that study Bible, 1984 NIV. It's my old Bible. It's the Bible I know. It's the Bible I underline. It's the Bible I highlight. I've got notes in there that I've written. I've got things that God has shown me. It's all torn and battered and it's got coffee stains on it. And that's my Bible. And and there's certain times where I might be in a prayer meeting or want to look up a verse and I can't remember where it is, but I just know it's on the left-hand side of the page at the top (laughs) column and it's it's highlighted in blue. I know that because it's become so familiar to me. Well, that's my something old Bible. It's like a familiar sword. It's a familiar weapon. You can have a whole cabinet full of weapons, but when you're facing an enemy, when when someone comes at your door to beat it down, you grab your old faithful. You say, I I know how to use this one, you know, and I think Christians out there will understand what I say when I say that. That's my something old Bible. And I think every Christian, if you've grown up with a Bible, uh, keep it, okay? Keep that Bible, it's just something old. But I've also got new Bibles that show something fresh to me, new translations, new versions, new editions that bring out something that I might have missed in my old Bible. Because one of the things with familiarity is you can become over-familiar. And if you stick with the one Bible, you might miss some of the nuance that other translators have picked up in other versions. And so you might draw on uh, the message paraphrase or the passion translation or the new living or or just some bible it doesn't matter what it is just something that's new you that comes across as fresh so i'd suggest people every now and again every few years get a new bible just something different that brings out a different aspect something old something new then i've got borrowed bibles that i borrow something borrowed Uh, and so if i go to speak at a christian chapel where i'm speaking to a whole bunch of kids okay i'm not going to take the king james bible i'm not going to take my niv i'm going to take a children's bible or the good news bible or something that has very simple english that i can use to people for people but I don't read those Bibles regularly. I take it off the shelf and then I put it back when I'm done with it. They're there for a purpose. They're yeah. borrowed for that reason. Something old, something new, something borrowed. And then as a modern preacher, of course, I have a something blue Bible. And blue That's to blue. me, 
Blue means hyperlink. It means electronic. I oh. use electronic Bible. So Bible programs that you can get online. When I study or when I'm studying for a sermon, when I'm doing research, I'll always go to a Bible website, uh, biblehub.com or, yeah. or a stepbible.org. Blue letter Bible is another, <clears throat> another common one where you can actually click on the words of the passage you're looking at and it can open up every other time that that word is used or it can cross-reference for you. And that's where the hyperlinks come in. You know, you click on a word and it shows you the Greek, the Hebrew shows you every other time. Because they're blue. Exactly. It's something blue. And so electronic sort of communicates something blue. So I think people should familiarize if they want to seriously study. Uh, You can't do that nowadays. It's so much easier, let's say, to do that with with an electronic Bible. But still, for your regular reading Bible, I believe paper trumps screen. Have a something old paper Bible that you can hold in your hand that you can be distraction-free from any electronics, any other electronics that you can take out with you to the forest, to the trees, to the beach, and, and read in the park on your own. Have a something old, have a something new, have a something borrowed, and have a something blue Bible. And so, Pamela, you asked me that to say, where, where did that come to you? Well, I was thinking, <laughs> how do I explain to people that you need to have different kinds of Bibles in your life? And that's the phrase that just came to me. And so, as you said, if it's good, well, it's God. Well, let's just say that. I dedicate a whole chapter in my book, helping people to choose the right Bible for them. That chapter is called Four Must-Have Bibles, Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, Something Blue. And if people find that helpful today, great. I like it. Thank you. It's so funny that my mind just didn't even click and come together with the fact that you were calling it blue because the hyperlink is blue. And then all of a sudden I had an epiphany. I was like, oh, I get it. You've written a book with people in their 20s as your target audience for them to explore the Bible in deeper ways. This book is called You Can Handle the Truth, Making Sense of the Bible in Three Simple Steps. Three Simple Steps. What do you see as this book's mission? What's the mission of this book? What do you hope it to accomplish? Well, basically, um, it's a book primarily written to Christians. As as all authors know, um, you're happy for anyone to read your book. At the end of yes. the day, part of you say, who's the book for? And you say, well, anybody, anybody. Yes. Right? It really will benefit anybody. It is always true. But when we write as authors, uh, we know the wisdom of having a primary target audience in mind. Someone that we're imagining that we are writing directly to them has that personal feel. And while anyone can benefit, it's a bit like the Bible, actually. You know, you, look, you read a, a letter like Second Timothy, where the title for this book actually comes from, Second Timothy. And what is that? Well, it's Paul writing to a person called Timothy, but anyone can read that letter and benefit from it, okay? Yes. But, but Paul, in his mind, specifically had Timothy in mind. Well, that's Thank basically you. the way authors write. We have a primary audience in mind. And for me, that primary audience are Christians in their 20s, basically anyone younger than me, and as I said, I'm 43, <laughs> uh, who want to get serious about their Bible reading. Uh, they know they walk with God. They might have grown up like me in a Christian family. They may only be new to Christian faith a year or so. It doesn't that That's not necessarily that important. But someone who already believes the Bible is the Word of God and they just want to know how to approach it well and how to handle it well. And so that's where the title comes from, You Can handle the truth. I want to encourage people, uh, I want to encourage particularly younger people, that the Bible, yes, there are times it seems confusing. Okay, let's just admit that. There are times the Bible does seem complicated. There are times the Bible even seems to Mm. contradict itself. Okay, Mm -hmm. but, 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 but you can handle it. 
You can read the Bible. You don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to uh, go to seminary. Uh, you don't need to be a, a highly educated academic in biblical studies. You can handle the truth. You can read the Bible. You can approach it in a healthy way. And you can come to good conclusions from it. And so a little bit like Paul writing to a younger Timothy, that's mm-hmm. how I approach the book. I see myself yeah. in the in the posture of the Apostle Paul. I'm, you know, in one sense, I, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, but in another <laughs> sense, I, I'm taking on that role as a mentor. Someone's been in ministry for 20 years. I was in ministry all through my 20s and 30s. So I got to say, it's hard for me sometimes listening to you as this father figure because you look so young but i understand what you're saying based on your experience well exactly you know it's it's, it's not very common for someone to plant a church at the age of 23 but i have that privilege that is my journey my own you know my eldest son now is 20 years of age so uh as i'm writing to that next generation that next generation of timothy's and tammy's okay the the female (laughs) recipient (laughs) of of my book tim tims and tams it's it's an australian thing but that's the target audience as i'm writing to them i'm i'm doing so as a mentor saying listen you can do this. You can yeah. handle the truth. And I want to share some of those very simple principles with you. So the purpose of the book is to encourage particularly younger people. You can read the Bible. You can handle it properly. And it is very, not only principled, but very practical, full mm-hmm. of examples, full of real life case studies from the Bible, as well as full of timeless, timeless principles that the um, our, our church fathers have established over hundreds and hundreds of years, just yeah. put in a way that is fresh, put in a way that's not non-technical it's not full of jargon it's not full of technical terms all those are in the end notes in the back there's like 230 or 320 end notes something like that hundreds of end notes of further reading but all the technical stuff's put in the back because i really want to communicate in a conversational mentoring simple way that people can remember and that people can repeat to others i mean even even today there might be pastors listening and you you are asked the question what type of bible should you know should i read pastor Mm -hmm. well some of you might will remember today something new something old something Something, something blue, you know. Yeah. People are going to remember that. It's memorable. Right. It's it's shareable, and I'd love that. I, I love the fact that good teaching is something you can repeat. And Paul mm-hmm. literally says that to Timothy. He says, mm-hmm. "I want you to entrust the things I've taught you to other people. That you would teach others to teach others what mm-hmm. I've taught you." And that's that perpetual perpetuity, uh, passing the baton from one generation to another to another. And uh, my goal in this book is to do that, is to take the lessons that the church has learned over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, even Jewish scholars from thousands of years ago, some of the principles that we see of handling the Bible well and translating that into modern language for the next generations. Mm -hmm. And your very titles are catchy and will sit with you and stay with you almost like the commercials, the jingles, the songs, they kind of get stuck in your head. And even when you want it out, they're still there. Your title, You Can Handle the Truth. I like how you gave that a positive spin. And it has so much meaning to me as I think about this title, because we know that the Bible is the word of God, Jesus, he's the truth the light. So you can handle the truth. You can handle Jesus. You can handle his word. I'm thinking about so many things as I consider that title. Well, some people think of Jack Nicholson and a few good men. I know. know. (laughs) 
that that's not where the title comes from. Let's just make that clear. But it actually oh. comes from it, it doesn't come from there at all. But it, it comes from a, a scripture of Paul writing to Timothy. It comes from two Timothy two fifteen, where in the NIV Bible, at least, so the Bible that I grew up on, Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, "Listen, I want you to be a work person who doesn't need to be ashamed because you correctly." handle the word of truth you correctly handle the word of truth and so paul writes to timothy and says there is a correct way to handle the word which means that there's an incorrect way and we all know that if you've been a christian any longer than six months to a year you know that you've seen people handle the word of god is a good thing it's a powerful thing but it's a good thing and it needs to be handled with care the very thing that is designed to bless us can actually burn us. It's a little bit like fire. Fire is a good thing, but it's also powerful. Mm -hmm. And if you don't handle fire well, it can damage you for life. It can cause bushfires, forest fires. It can burn down a house. It can scar you for life if you don't handle fire well. But it's 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 meant to be a blessing to you. Yeah. Um, it's, I tell young people it's a bit like sex. The gift of sex in our life is a good thing. Sex is good. God designed sex to be good. It's yeah. meant to be good. It's meant to be enjoyed. But it's also a powerful thing. Sex is yeah. powerful. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it can hurt people. It can really, really hurt people if it's not handled well. And so same with the scripture. It's a good thing. The word of God is a good thing, but it's a powerful thing. And all powerful things need to be handled with care. It can hurt people, but it can also help people. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on how you handle it. And so mm-hmm. while there is a lot of humor in the book, while there's a lot of mentoring, uh, there's funny examples, there's very personal stories from myself as well. Uh, there's also a degree of seriousness of people who listen when you hold the word of god you are stewarding something that has great power and great potential and we need to take the stewardship of god's word powerfully both for ourselves mm-hmm. and especially for those of us who step up in a platform uh, to share god's word uh, we understand we are holding something that's powerful and we need to make sure we handle it with care like paul mm-hmm. said to timothy be a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. And so that's where the title of the book comes from. You can handle the truth. You can handle the truth. I'm (laughs) glad uh, you picked up on me relating it to Jack Nicholson because you really helped me in the way you explained the title a second time around because I was already kind of pre-programmed to attach it to Jack Nicholson. I'm glad you clarified that because it was much deeper. Yeah, you have your front cover where you sort of make your statement about the book. And for me, part of that statement is actually there's a photo of me sitting down with a Bible open because that's the tone Mm -hmm. of the book. Sometimes, you know, it's author's, uh, struggle with that concept of putting their face on the book. Should I do that? If you're not well known, it doesn't. It doesn't really work, you know. Unless you're a TD Jakes or a or a Joyce Meyer or someone <laughs> that whose face is really well known. But for me, I wanted to do that because the tone of the book is a conversation. It's sitting down with the Bibles open, saying, "Let me walk you through this process." But the back of the book has that verse on it: Two Timothy two fifteen. Don't be ashamed. Correctly handle the word of truth. Uh, so I do try to make it clear to people looking at the book that that's where the title comes from. You, you okay. to, to correctly handle the word of truth. And I just want to admit to you that although I've read that scripture before, it still didn't just hit me upside the head the way you've just explained it to me. Just thank you. And some of and some of our <laughs> listeners grew up with a Bible that translated it differently because some of us grew up with yeah. a version that said rightly divide. The word mm-hmm. of truth. So That's, even some of your listeners I right now are going, I, yeah. 
Okay, well, there you go. Rightly divide the word of truth. And I spent a whole section in the book towards the end talking about what that could mean. What does it mean to divide, to correctly mm-hmm. divide the word of truth? And so part of the end of the book, uh, when we talk about applying the scripture to our life, I talk about certain divisions that you need to make, certain mm-hmm. distinctions between things, for example, that are major. I mentioned this before. You need to distinguish between what is major and what is minor so that right. we can major on the majors mm-hmm. and minor on the minors. You know, we need to distinguish or we need to make a cut between what is super clear, super, super clear in the scriptures and what is also a little bit cloudy. And it's it's okay. There's there's certain things in the Bible that are not crystal clear and so they are open to dialogue and discussion and disagreement and that's okay. We just need to make a distinction between the things that are clear and those that aren't. I sort of finished the book with that picture of rightly dividing the word of truth. And that could actually come, we don't really know this, but it could come from Paul's history as a tent maker. He was Mm -hmm. not only a Bible teacher, but he was a tradesman, okay? In Australia, we'd call him a tradie. Uh, But he would, (laughs) you know, one of the things he would do is he'd cut timber to erect a tent. He'd cut cloth. And as all carpenters know, you need to make sure that cut matters. You measure twice before you cut. You cut once. You know, you know, yeah. you know, if that if that cut is not done well, the whole building can be in jeopardy. Yeah. And so it's quite possible as he's talking to Timothy, a young apprentice, okay, a young mm-hmm. apprentice, he's drawing on that imagery of a carpenter cutting well and mm-hmm. saying, listen, mate. Be a good workman wow. that correctly cuts, that makes clear distinctions yeah. when it comes to handling the scripture inside. It's making me related to surgery too. You don't want someone who's not skilled cutting away at you. And then it's also making me think of this popular saying in America. I don't know how popular it is in Australia, but church hurt. And it's making me think of how some people have mishandled the truth mishandled the Bible. And it's caused people to have such pain that they leave the church hurt. And it may be years before they return, if ever. So it's so important what you're talking about. It's my prayer that people will listen to this conversation and have a broader understanding of how all these things go and maybe um, be open again, perhaps, if something has gone wrong at some point. And, you know, on on one extreme example of mishandling the Bible, you have dangerous cults, you know, that that literally end up drinking the Kool-Aid. Those cults develop from a misapplication of Scripture. And then you have people that have been put off the Bible for life because they've been told that the Bible endorses American slavery, for example, or that the Bible endorses and supports the oppression of women or that mm-hmm. the Bible, you know, uh, cast uh, people that have experienced divorce in, yes. in a certain uh, in a certain light. And so people say, well, if the Bible says that, I want to have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And you think, no, no, hang on. The people who communicate those things, are they correctly handling the right. Bible? Okay. It's not that the Bible says those things. These people have read it and brought out a particular understanding for good motives or bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Those types of conclusions come from mishandling the Bible and their mishandling the Bible has hurt, led to hurting people. So I agree. Yes. Thank you for sharing your thoughts around all of that. Please tell us about the three pillars of your book. You can handle the truth, making sense of the Bible in three simple steps. 
among other things, I am a three-point preacher. I do sort of have a <laughs> habit of uh, of being one of those preachers that I'm preaching on this today, and here's my three points. Yeah. You know, so I, I I don't do it as a rule. It just like, kind of comes out of me. So yeah. it's a bit like that. But really, there are three simple steps to handling the Bible well, and we actually see this demonstrated by a, a gentleman in the in the Old Testament called Ezra uh, and Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah towards the end of the Old Testament. In fact, it's one of the very last things that happens in the Old Testament story is that uh, Ezra stands up with the, the Bible of his day. He reads the book aloud and it's translated in the language that people can understand, but he, he reads it aloud. It's translated in the common language of the day. Then it says that the Levites un- explain the meaning to the people. Okay, that's mm-hmm. what the Bible says, but this is what it means. So mm-hmm. that was the second step. What does the Bible say? Well, they read it. Then the second thing is now they explain the meaning of what was read. And then what happens is when the people hear the Bible and where they heard the meaning, they started crying. And yeah. Ezra goes, no, 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 you're not meant to cry. That's not the right response, okay? The, the correct response is actually to celebrate and to have a feast and have a festival, invite people over to party at your house. It's actually a joyful day. The, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that, that passage comes from, mm. Nehemiah 8. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So go home and celebrate today. And so that third thing that happened after reading the Bible after having the meaning explained, mm-hmm. they then had to respond to it. And there was a right way and a wrong way to respond. And they responded wrong. They needed coaching <laughs> to understand the wow. implications of this word for us today, actually good implications. And so mm-hmm. here's how you should respond. So in that story, we see three simple steps. And I like to frame them in three questions. I'm, I'm a firm believer that God is not afraid of questions. Right. right, and I'm a firm believer that one of the one of the best ways to be a student is to ask good questions. And so the three steps I frame in three questions, and here they are. The first thing you've got to do is ask yourself, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible actually say? Secondly, you've got to ask, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? I know the Bible says such and such, but what does that mean? And then thirdly, we ask, well. What does it matter? What does it matter to you and I today? What does it matter to me that an ancient book said that Mm -hmm. in the past? What does it matter to me today? And so Ezra, what does it say? Well, he read the Bible aloud, first step. The second step, what does that mean? Well, the Levites explained the meaning to the people. They taught the people. Listen, this is part of our history. This is what happened hundreds, you know, thousands of years ago at, at the Red Sea. They explained yeah. the meaning, and then they had to coach the people on what or how it mattered to them in that day. No, no, no. The right response is not to cry. The right <laughs> response is to be joyful because yeah. the implications for us today are actually really, really positive. And so what does it mean? And then what does it matter to us today? And so there's a very simple three-step process. The book is basically divided into three major parts, a bit like three parts of a play. And there are chapters within each of those parts, walking the reader through step by step. If you're going to ask, what does the Bible say? Well, you have to read it, okay? (laughs) That's pretty obvious. So the first part of the book is all about how to read the Bible well, the second part is what does it mean? Well, that has to do with interpretation. And we talk about different styles of speech and genre and understanding some of the ancient culture of the ancient world, understanding the narrative of scripture, that it's one big story over 1500 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I paint, paint that picture. 
And then thirdly, well, what does it matter to you and I today? The -hmm. chapters in there deal with personal application in how you and I can apply the truth of the Bible in our modern 21st century life here in America and Australia. I'm going to ask you to just think of the first thing that comes to your mind around where people struggle with what does this particular book or story have to do with me today? And just unpack it just a little bit with the way you're sharing in this part of the episode. That's that's great. Well, one of the confusing things that comes in that question is when people have been brought up to handle the Bible wrong and they're brought up to ask themselves, what does this passage mean to me? Mm-hmm. And that actually, while it sounds like it has good motives, it's it's a different question. It's not a good question to say, what does it mean to me? Mm-hmm. Because the first thing we're to do is to say, well, what does this passage mean? What does it actually mean, full right. stop? <laughs> what has it yeah. always meant across yeah. all time and eternity? Yeah. This means something. When Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he meant something. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what does it mean and, to Jesus? What did right. he mean when right. he said that? But your question was phrased really well there, Pamela, because you didn't ask, what does it mean to me? You said, what do I do with it today, these old stories? And so yeah. when we hear Jesus say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, when we understand that that means not cannibalism, okay? Jesus yeah. didn't mean <laughs> like the people on the day <laughs> thought he meant cannibalism, okay? So they, they walked away. No, you misunderstood him, okay? He didn't mean it physically. There was a spiritual dimension about what he was communicating. When we then ask, well, how does that matter to me today? That is a, a struggle like you just admitted that, that people have. There are ways to discover the implications of truth, of ancient truth to you today. There's a few helps that we can apply there. I I go through a lot of detail about this in my book, but just the one thing that comes to mind is -hmm. that God has given us three different toolkits to handle the scripture well. He's given us the spirit, first of all. Mm -hmm. So when we seek to go, God, what do I do with this today? We literally ask the Holy Spirit. We walk with God today. God has not just left us on planet Earth with a manual to do life. Here's your manual. Good luck. He's left us with a personal tutor. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's left us with Holy Spirit who comes alongside us to lead us into biblical truth. And so right. always remember when you read the Bible, you've got a personal tutor sitting right there with you. The author of the book himself <laughs> is with you yeah. every time you read it. So mm-hmm. you can lean on the Spirit to find application for your life. Secondly, you can lean on other people. You can lean on the saints. The Bible should be read in in community and understood in community, and Mm -hmm. other people with their wisdom can help you find implications and applications for your life. So that's why I say when you read the Bible, you should read it for yourself, but don't just read it by yourself only. Okay, We should be reading and understanding the Bible in the context of community as well. So God puts other people in the life. Yeah. And so so seeking implication is a great question. The answer is yes, it can be done. And I actually finished the book by giving an acronym. Okay. Again, it's three points. And it's one of the things you can do, no matter how complicated a passage may seem or no how many much ancient it might seem. You're reading through the book of Judges or you're reading through <laughs> the ceremonies of Leviticus, all these blood ceremonies. You're, well, what the heck do I do with that? You know, why, why bother? Right. One thing I encourage my readers at the end of this book is to find joy 
in biblical revelation. Remember how Nehemiah and Ezra say, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't cry. Find joy in the scripture, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, I use that as an acronym in my book, Find Joy, and I say one of the things that you can find in almost every Bible passage goes back to where we started right at the beginning of this conversation, Pamela, and it has to do with the issue of identity. What does this passage of scripture tell me, Jay, about Jesus? What does it reveal about the nature of God, about Jesus? What does it show me about, oh, others, Mm. others? Because part of the reason of the Bible is to help me to love other people, to know Mm. other people so that I can fulfill the great command to love them. What does it teach me about others? And secondly, what does it reveal about you? J-O-Y, Jesus, Mm. others, and yourself find joy in the scriptures by asking the question, what does it reveal about Jesus? What does it teach me about others so that I can love them better? And what does it teach me about myself and my relationship with God today? Wow. I love that. Now I know why you stick to those uh, three points or they just naturally come to you. <laughs> you have a lot of great ones. I'm going to remember that and it's going to be so easy to remember it. I just think joy, Jesus, others, you. You know, there was something else you shared during the pre-chat and I love the way you expounded on it, but you were talking about who it was written to or for and how that matters to separate that. You got to pay attention to what exactly or who exactly it was saying something to. Like, I think we may have even been talking about Lamentations. Do you remember that at all? Yeah. Okay. So I think you're touching on in the second step of the process after you've read the bible and you know what it says you need to ask well what does that mean and one of the first things you need to do to find out what the passage means is mm-hmm. ask yourself well who was it written to who's the intended mm-hmm. audience and and who's actually doing the speaking uh, mm-hmm. who's the author of what i'm reading and who's the audience because you know if you were to open your bible one day and say okay god speak to me and just open your bible <laughs> randomly and put your finger in a page if your finger lands in the book of job for example you might be reading something that God has put in the Bible, but it's not actually his wisdom. You actually might be yeah. reading something from Job's friends mm-hmm. that God at the end of the book of Job says they were wrong. <laughs> they don't know me and they were speaking folly. Okay, because it all depends who is speaking. So you've got to look at the author of what you're reading. Was it Job? Was it Moses? Was it God himself? Was it King David? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, was it a philosopher? Who, who's doing the writing? And secondly, the audience. Who are they writing to? And so when you read Leviticus and it talks about sacrificing animals and and bathing after sex and it gives you instructions about how to clip your beard or it gives instructions about, you know, how what you should do with the foreign slaves in your household. What the heck do I do with this? Okay, What do I do? Well, hang on. Who's it written to? It's not written to you. In America in the 21st century. No, the book of Leviticus is written to the Levites. It's called the book of Leviticus. Okay, it's written to the Levites and, mm-hmm. and it's written to an ancient audience of 1500 years, you know, BC or three and a half thousand years ago from today in the Middle East. That's who it's written to. If you know the author and you know the audience, it helps you discover the meaning of what you're writing. Some people have, you know, developed an idea that the Bible is, uh, you know, God's love letter to me, for example. Mm-hmm. And so there is some truth in that. I understand the heart mm-hmm. of that. It's not a blanket rule that you can just apply to anywhere your finger falls and right. say, what I read today is God himself speaking directly to Chad in 21st mm-hmm. century Australia. No, 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 no. There is an author. There is an audience that it was originally written to. And right. it's when you discover that meaning, the intended meaning to that audience, that you can then say, 
all right, Lord, I believe this word is eternal. Mm-hmm. It was written in a time. It was written in a place. It was written for a purpose. It was written for a particular audience in history. But right. today, today, I know your spirit wants to bring truth from this passage to my life. Help me now take that third step. Right. And so, yeah, the, the idea of author and audience, the idea of understanding that the whole Bible is written for me, but it's not all written to me. Uh, and one of the ways of that I'm hearing that it's written for me, if we think back again at the book of Leviticus, okay, so all this blood and sacrifice, that's kind of scary. And I wouldn't want to have to do that today. But it does help me understand when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus comes as the sacrificial lamb. So understanding all of that custom or tradition around sacrifices uh, in the Old Testament helps me appreciate what Jesus did on a different level. A hundred percent. And that's why this second step of answering the question, what does it mean, is all about context. It's all about Mm -hmm. establishing the context of what you're reading. One of the contexts you've got to understand is the author and the audience. The mm. other sort of context you need to understand is where what you are reading fits in the big picture of the Bible, because the Bible is a big book and it, yeah. and it covers a whole <laughs> lot of history. And mm. there is a big story that's, that threads and what you're reading is just one part in that big story. And so you need to have a big picture view when you read the Bible. And I and I cover this in my book extensively. I actually spend a whole chapter where I tell the, the story of the Bible literally from beginning to end. I outlay mm. the story of the Bible in, in, in seven distinct time periods of history. Uh, there's a whole, whole page dedicated, a graph where you can see wow. the timeline mm-hmm. of the Bible story unfold. Because one of the things I've learned as a preacher is it's not enough to say to people, you need to understand the chronology of the Bible, or you need to understand the cultural context, or you need to understand the different genres of scripture. No, no, no. You don't just tell people what they need to do. You then show them those things. Mm -hmm. So I don't just say you need to understand context. I explicitly say this is the kind of context you need to understand. Here it is. Uh, Let me help you understand. So uh, preachers uh, sometimes- I just preach. You don't get it? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, Preachers are often very, very good at just saying the principle. You should understand the culture of the day. You should understand. Well, tell me. You you tell me what the culture of the day looked like, you know. And so that's what I try to do uh, all through the book is not just say this is what you need to do, but it's to say, here, here's some helpful handles right. on that truth itself to get your head around it and some solid biblical examples or examples after example after example uh, to see those things work in real yeah. Bible ways. I love that your book is encouraging people to study for themselves. It's giving people a a guide, if you will, or some helpful hints. But you're not saying, hey, just listen to me. I'm going to interpret it for you. You're saying, no, dive in there for yourself. Pray to God for yourself that he opens up your understanding. There's actually some examples I give in there of certain leanings that I have that I know are a minority view. In the chapter, for example, where I talk about majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors, I say, listen, there's a few things that I that I lean towards in biblical understanding, but I don't care if you don't see it the same way. It doesn't matter. You need to come to your own convictions on certain things. And so that, to me, and I say this right in the start of the preface, a good teacher, in my understanding, a good teacher makes complicated things really clear. I think you should leave good teaching or a good book and say, I understand that better now. That has secured me in the confidence of that issue. However, the equally true is this. A good teacher should leave you feeling curious. Exactly. It should 
it leave you feeling like I'm actually leaving this with questions and they're good questions. I feel secure. They're not insecure questions that have made me wonder about life yeah. and, and, and the nature of God and critical things. No, but you've got me curious to look into that myself. And so one of the things I actually do that's a bit of fun in the book is I drop every, every now and again, I just say, look, people see it this way or they could see it this way. You need to research that yourself. So I'm very yeah. happy. And I, I do that from the pulpit on certain issues to say, <laughs> listen, guys, some people see it this way. Some people see it this way. You need to come to your own conviction on that. And uh, I want to stir people's curiosity because I know the best way you can learn, or in my experience, certainly the best way to learn is by exercising your own curiosity and digging into the scriptures yourself. I've been a preacher long enough to know that uh, people leave my sermons on a Sunday and they might remember 5% the, the next day. Yeah. You know, they might remember. <laughs> But when God speaks to you directly, when you have your own questions of him that you dig into the scripture for and that you have revelation on, those things don't leave you. And so if I can help stir curiosity in students and stir curiosity in my readers, then I believe I've done a good job as a teacher. It's very Socratic, the style that you're, you're speaking of. It's kind of leading people through questions or through information to then explore it on their own and, and sense make on their own and with God. So excellent. So we are now at the question that I ask every guest. It's the same last question. And is which one final gem can you leave with the audience today? It's the single most important point that you feel that you've made today. If they forget everything else, please don't forget this one. What is it? Oh, that'll help them get to their next level of best around this topic. Fantastic. Well, if there's any desire I have for people, it's to equip them to handle the scripture for themselves, Mm -hmm. that they may truly discover its message and meaning. And ultimately, that message and meaning is Jesus Christ. Because I say this right at the end of the book. I've dedicated the last four years of my life writing this book. It actually was a long mm-hmm. process. It comes from 20 years of, of hands-on pastoral pulpit experience, walking people through the story of the scripture. But ultimately, my goal is not to help people know the Bible, but it's to help people know God. And the, yeah. the whole purpose of the Bible is not that we would know the Bible. The whole <laughs> purpose of the Bible is that we would walk with Jesus in an unhindered authentic reality in the the way that he has designed us to know him. And so I would like people to leave today knowing the scripture is not scary. It might seem intimidating at times. I understand that it may seem complicated, but you can handle it. Even if you're an uneducated uh, person in, in Bible studies, let's say, you right. can walk away with the basic message and, and mandate of, of the scripture. You can handle the truth. This book is designed to walk you through the process of how to do that well, uh, because ultimately handling the scriptures will help you get to know Jesus. And that, to me, is the greatest gift you can ever have. The only guarantee of eternal life. Jesus said in John 17, when he was praying to the Father, he said, this is eternal life, that they would know you, God, and that they would know the one you have sent. And eternal life does not come from knowing a book uh, or from knowing the scripture. Eternal life comes from knowing the Son who that scripture reveals. And so I'd like people to know they can go to their next level in their relationship with God by knowing the scriptures, they will discover him more. And I'd love nothing more. than Wonderful. 
Thanks so much. I have to tell you, this conversation has been so much more fun than I thought. I'm just being honest. I have laughed so much. It's been so delightful and informative. So I really appreciate that. And you have such a great smile and you make such uh, facial expressions. I'm sure other people have told you this too while you're teaching. So it's been so much fun having you on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a privilege. And and I, I know you'll have these things in the show notes, but Chad Mansbridge, it's very easy to find me on the internet, chadmansbridge.com. My book, You Can Handle the Truth, and my first book, He Qualifies You, which is a whole nother discussion, but both of those are on all platforms that people use. And so whether people like like listening to podcasts or watching preaching videos on YouTube, they can just look me up in those areas or go to Amazon and, and grab a copy of my book. And and as I said to you when we first met, I think your daughter, because your daughter you said is now 20 something. Yeah. So so I certainly I'd love to hear feedback from her for her age group, how, how she went with it. I've already told her about your book and that I'm going to purchase it for us. Um, so I agree with you. Although you said maybe your target audience is her age group, I'm interested in it. And I'm 52, so we'll both give you feedback. Very, very last thing, for real, for real, help me get this accent right. Now, I know that I have an accent. I have an American accent, and it's a little bit country, too. I visited Australia before. And I love the way you guys say, good day, mate. So how do I do this? How do I nail it? Is it good day, mate? Good day. Good day. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. Good day, yeah, mate. The, the least amount of syllables as possible. Day, uh, it's a bit like uh, our country. It's not Australia. It's too many syllables. We just say Australia. You just try Australia. to, try to mm. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just That's anyway. So we, we have very lazy, very lazy uh mm. In our, in our speech. So the Queen, I mean, she's celebrating her Platinum Jubilee 70 years at the moment, which is just amazing. But she'd be, the, the Queen would be horrified if she, if she <laughs> discovered what, we, what we've done with her language. Uh, but uh, American think, English too. <laughs> oh, no, you guys are worse. You guys are definitely worse. I, I know that's why you had to leave. The, well, uh, you have the, that today. I'm sure the English fought you back in the, back in the war just for that reason. They couldn't handle what you did with English. That with the was language. the reason. Okay. But g'day, Pamela. G'day, mate. Thank you so okay. much for having me. And, uh, and as we say, I'll see you later. See you later. Bye-bye. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, Subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.